Have you ever felt a twinge of worry about AI taking over your job or diluting your creativity? Well, what if you could turn that fear into creative fuel? We've just published an amazing new ebook called The Four Keys to Success in an AI World. And this is more than just a guide. It's a deep exploration into the human skills that AI can't touch. The skills that are essential for standing out and thriving, no matter how much technology evolved. We're talking about real differentiators here, like creativity, emotional intelligence, critical thinking, and much more. Inside, you'll find actionable insights and strategies to develop these skills, whether you're a creative person, a business person, or just simply someone who loves personal development. This isn't a story about tech taking over. It's a story of human creativity thriving alongside AI. Picture this, AI as your creative co-pilot, not just as a tool, but a collaborator that enhances your unique human skills. The Four Keys ebook will show you exactly how to do that and view AI in a new way that empowers you instead of overshadows you. Transform your creative potential today. Head over to unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys. Use the number four, K-E-Y-S. That's unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys and download your free copy. We're all here to connect with people, man. It's at the top of our list. Like, you know, human being human is about connecting and, and you know, what that means. I think the problem is tying to what you said is what we place the value on that connection. And so I think for a lot of men that are young that have been fed to the world, the value comes from how attractive the person is that, that you're dating, mm-hmm. right? Um, and the problem is, biologically, uh, from, from my research, like it seems like that needs to be true, right? For most men, they need to be physically attracted on some level to their partner. I think the problem is, it should stop there. That should be your initial switch and say, cool, am I physically attracted to this person enough to want to be intimate with them, to be close, all that? Great. Then start looking as well at the bigger picture besides just, you know, what's on the outside, right? Like how, how you have your time together. Do you get along? Do you share values? And so I'm not against people wanting healthier connection, like more connections for happiness, because I think that is a huge piece. Mm-hmm. It's just about what constitutes a healthy, happy connection. And for a lot of young men and even men into their 30s, it's like, great. Most importantly, is it a hot person? Right. Um, uh, and then they don't often challenge themselves much further than that. Yeah. And then for women, it's the same way. It's often, how does this person make me feel? And a lot of times they choose partners who, you know, they feel great around. They feel excited, aroused, um, you know, adventurous. They laugh. They have a great sense of humor. And then that stops there. And again, it's not, it doesn't progress towards always like, well, am I getting the respect that I deserve? Um, Are they communicative? Are they fair to me? Do they encourage my independence? I'm Srini Rao, and this is the Unmistakable Creative Podcast, where you get a window into the stories and insights of the most innovative and creative minds who've started movements, built thriving businesses, written best-selling books, and created insanely interesting art. For more, check out our 500-episode archive at unmistakablecreative.com. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. 
They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact? You can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health-monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. As creators, we're always on the move. Whether it's a live podcast event, a pop-up shop, or a workshop, we're constantly interacting with community. And that's where Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe comes in. Imagine this, you're at a live event, a listener loves your merch, or a participant wants to sign up for your course on the spot. With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, you can accept their payments right there and then, right from your iPhone so there's no extra hardware or no delays. Total game changer. It's not just for creators. Any business owner can do this. It's about making transactions smoother and much more personal, growing your business in your way. We've been using Stripe for our products and courses for a long time, and now with Tap to Pay on iPhone, you can take your business to the next level too. So visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone to learn more. Remember folks, with tap to pay on iPhone and Stripe, your business is always at your fingertips. Nick, welcome to the Unmistakable Creative. Thanks so much for taking the time to join us. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah, so I actually know about your work because I am one of your clients and we will actually get to what your work is about. But before we get there, um, I want to start by asking you, what social group were you a part of in high school and what impact did that end up having on your life and your work? Yeah, so I was kind of the kid that hung out with everybody. Uh, So I grew up in town called Randolph, Massachusetts. And it was, I think at the time, statistically the most diverse town in New England. Um, so it was a lot of clicks, a lot of groups, some people huddled together. And I found myself growing up through elementary, middle and high school, just kind of hanging out with people of all groups. Um, so I was pretty accepting in that regard. And I think that kind of gave me a well-rounded perspective on just all sorts of people, their problems, different backgrounds, different upbringings, going to their house and being in different communities and cultures. Um, so I think it really kind of opened my, my perspective. Um, and maybe I didn't realize, you know, now looking back, how many people deal with, you know, racism and all that stuff, because that just never was a part of my life. 
Mm-hmm. Um, so that's kind of been a shock over the last 10 years to see that and see things changing um, when it just was like totally normal to hang out with anybody and everybody back then. Mm-hmm. Um, what, if any, cultural perspectives did you gain from that you know, sort of experience of such diversity that um, has played a role in your work today? Like, what did you learn about other cultures and other people? Yeah, I think the biggest thing I learned is, you know, we're all people, right? I think that sounds so cliche, but sure. that's what it was. Is like, it's, you know, when you don't understand something, it feels foreign, it feels different. Uh, and there's a lot of unknowns there. But then you go to somebody's house and they just make you dinner and they make you a different dinner and they have their own little traditions for food and for spending time together. And you start to draw parallels uh, to your own life. And pretty soon, I think what that does most of all is just, again, make you feel related to everybody, make you make you feel connected and human uh-huh. uh, in that regard. And so, yeah, I think that was the biggest change. So you grew up around all these other cultures, but I also know from, you know, kind of knowing you personally that you're of Greek descent. And I'm curious, um, you know, what impact uh, your own culture had uh, on uh, your upbringing and and the choices that you've made with your life and your career and kind of your whole sort of worldview? Yeah. So being Greek, what's funny is, especially, I mean, tying to my work, sexuality is is a lot less intense over there. It's a lot more accepted, a lot more colorful, a lot more expressed. So growing up in a household or going over to Greece and seeing, you know, nudity on TV, uh, having my parents watch movies that were quote unquote more adult and had scenes like that, not bad an eye, kind of destigmatized a lot of human sexuality in that regard, which I think in American culture at times, it's a little bit more restricted. Uh Um, so that really kind of just, uh, you know, I felt like I had a healthy view on on sexuality and relationships. Uh, similar to that, there's a lot more acceptance in, in, you know, allowing children to try things and, and be more personally responsible. So something like alcohol a little bit at a, at a family celebration was like totally normal. And I think that allowed me to, you know, get a respect for let's say drinking that sometimes I had friends who had never tasted alcohol. Their parents were super against it. Um, and then they went off to college and they just binge drank and went out of control. I had a lot of those experiences and I felt like I had a respect for them. And so it wasn't something taboo, just like sexuality. Um, and that's probably been one of the biggest impacts on like just being vulnerable in life and, and allowing, you know, not sheltering your children. I mean, you can't obviously not saying go throw them to the worst sides of the internet, mm. um, but allowing them to kind of express themselves, explore themselves, see the, the more touchy sides of life, um, creates a maturity around it. Mm. Well, let's do this. Walk me through, uh, sort of the trajectory of how you arrived at doing this work, because I know that it, it you know, it, it, the funny thing is the work that you do, I don't think is something that you open up, you know, a career guide and say, okay, yeah, that's what I'm going to do with my life. No, not at all. <laughs> uh, well, tying into, you know, the kind of the understanding sexuality and relationships, I think that fostered, um, feelings of, of feeling just connected to that as work. So in the back of my head growing up, I always felt like, cool, I'm, I want to do something psychology related and specifically in interpersonal relationships. Uh, but then I went to do computer science. So that was the exact opposite, uh, of basically the field I'm in now. And so organically what happened was 
I was about 19 years old. I was in college uh, and everything in my life started, quote unquote, falling apart. Uh, most of my friends had moved out of state, so I lost my social circle for myself. Um, I had a girlfriend at the time who left me during our two-year anniversary. And then uh, my dad, who had a restaurant to kind of support our family, ended up getting really sick, having two heart attacks, um, and basically couldn't uh, maintain the business and support us. So in a very, very short window, uh, I was forced to kind of be alone and, and eventually had to make the decision of, you know, somebody has to step up and support my family. So I, I dropped out of school to work and support my family. And, you know, it, it immediately, I think, you know, I went through a period of depression uh, while kind of trying to, to support everything. And eventually, as I started to just move forward, get a job, slightly pull out of that, I think I stumbled upon you know, some dating advice online, probably pick up advice. I mean, definitely pick up advice back then. And, uh, you know, said, well, listen, I want to get my life in gear. I want to be able to meet people. Um, the only time I'd ever done that before in my life was through, you know, friend circles and social circles. And even then it was scattered. So seeing this kind of this idea that you could go out and, and take control of your life and meet people and specifically as a 19 year old attract and bed, quote unquote, really hot women um, was like the greatest idea in the world to me. Um, so moving forward there, I said, cool, I'm skeptical, but I'm going to try some of this stuff out. And so let's say for the next two years or year and a half, I went out all the time uh four or five times a week to meet people, really pushing myself. In that first year, 18 months, I got pretty good at it, quote unquote. I was, I was making a lot of new friends. I was dating around. Um, and so people started taking notice that I was friends with and even other coaching companies. And I had one of my best friends at the time that was still there um, come to me and basically say, hey, listen, this is pretty awesome what you're doing. Uh, do you think you'd be able to teach me? And so at that moment, it was kind of a light bulb, like, well, I, I love what I'm doing here. It seems to be legit. Um, if I could do this and, and survive and still support my family, I really couldn't imagine anything else uh, better. Something that I could actually contribute that I don't think a lot of people were doing at the time. There was a lot of relationship counselors and all that, mm -hmm. but not people helping, especially young, smart men uh, go out and, and meet people. And so um, started talking to some coaching companies, uh, pick up dating coaching companies, got involved with them for my next few years. Uh, and then eventually realized, you know, this is not healthy um, in a lot of ways. I think a lot of people in the industry were pretty miserable. Um, many of the people I knew could get a date, get women, couldn't keep them. Uh, they didn't have like a more organic social life all around, which was awkward. And so I thought, you know, and, and also it was for myself, to be honest. Um, I had felt like I lost a lot of myself by that time, you know, doing quote unquote pickup for years and, and, you know, memorizing lines and trying all these fake, you know, ways to present yourself really made me feel disingenuous. Uh, it made me kind of loathe myself deep down. And so I realized for myself as well, 
you know, I need to change something about this. Um, and there's a lot of cool ideas about presentation, about being a leader, being more confident that I think are valuable, but I think there is a much healthier, more authentic way to do this and, and tied into actual research psychology. So then eventually I decided to leave the pickup industry, uh, start my own coaching company and then been just lucky enough to have it grow and be still doing it years later. Mm -hmm. Wow. Okay. So tons of questions uh, come from this, as you might imagine. Um, one of the things that's interesting to me is that uh, you grew up with a relatively healthy and, and normal view on sexuality and relationships. So I'm, I'm curious, you know, why gravitate towards this uh, in the first place, given that that was the case? Because in my experience, and, and, you know, I personally have delved into this entire world, which we will talk about, um, you know, something I thought I'd never want to admit publicly. And I spent, you know, four years like going to workshops and being part of the community only to come out realizing I hated every bit of it. Like, like you said, I, I was like, this is not a normal way to live. Like these people, I feel like I'm part of a cult and one that I'm a hell of oh, quite God, ashamed yeah. to be of, uh, be a part of. But, um, I, I'm really curious, like if you grew up with a view of, of sexuality that wasn't stigmatized the way a lot of people are, what in the world would cause you to gravitate towards this yeah so i guess i should clarify I, I did have a healthy view in a lot of ways but i think i had less of a healthy view on maybe my own self-esteem and self-confidence tied to it mm -hmm. so i didn't have as much deep-seated sexual shame in a lot of ways but i did feel like my value because i was so interested in it um and partly, to be honest, um, after my parents split when I was really young, my dad kind of, uh, he was a great dad, but he worked 12 hours, 14 hours a day, seven days a week. And then my mom was kind of, she was young and making mistakes in her life. Um, and so while I did have a healthy view on sexuality, I didn't have necessarily parents that were always around and giving me the guidance in it and saying, you know, you should be thinking about more than that or, or giving me a healthier view on growing as a person. So when, you know, my dad got sick and all my friends moved away and I got dumped by this girl that I thought at the time was going to be my future, um, I think I based my entire worth on that and, and my worth on being liked by people and then being validated by someone that finds you interesting and attractive so while I felt like sex was okay and I could express it a lot of times, I also at the same time felt like it meant everything to me. And so I think the reason why I got into it was basically um, to feel like not a loser at the time. Yeah. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. 
Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health-monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. As creators, we're always on the move. Whether it's a live podcast event, a pop-up shop, or a workshop, we're constantly interacting with community, and that's where Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe comes in. Imagine this, you're at a live event, a listener loves your merch, or a participant wants to sign up for your course on the spot. With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, you can accept their payments right there and then, right from your iPhone so there's no extra hardware or no delays. Total game changer. It's not just for creators. Any business owner can do this. It's about making transactions smoother and much more personal, growing your business in your way. We've been using Stripe for our products and courses for a long time, and now with Tap to Pay on iPhone, you can take your business to the next level too. So visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone to learn more. Remember folks, with tap to pay on iPhone and Stripe, your business is always at your fingertips. So uh, that raises a question of, you know, why is it that, you know, I, I don't think what you're, you know, what you were feeling is, is uncommon for many men in our culture. And, and I'm curious why that's the narrative of our culture and, and more importantly, how you started to unwind it. Um, because I, I think that for most of us, our self-worth issues, whether we're men or women, are largely the result of our desire to be liked by other people. And, and I'm curious how you start to unwind this narrative of, I only have, you know, worth in the world if, you know, this person, uh, you know, finds me attractive or wants to have sex with me. Like, how did you unwind it? Yeah, I think the way that, I mean, the short answer of it in, in a word is to start actually loving who you are, right? And what else you have to offer the world and, and what else you could find fulfilling. Yeah. Um, if your primary focus is, great, let me go out for the, the sole purpose of meeting people and for the sole purpose of, of getting laid, it's going to be hard to unwind that or, or feel differently. But I think if you can hold yourself accountable to say, well, within those experiences, can I ensure that I am being honest with myself, that I am respecting my values, that I'm exploring my values, um, that uh, I can also just be honest of, of, of experimenting other sides of life and investing in myself and investing in, in my growth as a person. Um, so, so the more that you 
show up within those experiences and then also find ways to grow and respect yourself and be more authentic in the bigger picture, the less inclined you feel, I think, to, to, to tie your value to it, right? Because if I start focusing on, on great friendships or I say, I want to get healthy um, to feel better about myself, to play more sports and you get involved in that and then you get references that are like, wow, this is really rewarding to me. I feel happier. I feel more passionate. I feel more alive. Then I just think subconsciously your brain is like, cool, there's a lot more to life than just being liked by somebody. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, it's, it's really taking care of yourself. Self-care is probably the biggest answer. Mm-hmm. So th- there's a, a piece on your about page that I, I, I kind of want to read this and, and, you know, have you dissect it for us because I think the, the identity shift is, is so drastic. You know, every day I pretended to be some bullshit version of myself. No one knew the real me. I didn't even know who the real me was anymore. Every woman I met liked the false persona I presented. They didn't like or care about Nick because he was so buried. They never had a chance. Every connection I had was shallow. They were hollow. They weren't even connections because all I cared about was the next conquest and being seen as desirable. Um, that really struck me because, you know, um, I, you know, obviously for me to, to want to work with you, if that had been you, know, you, I don't think we would be working together because my values would have been completely out of alignment with that. Um, and I think I would have sure. found it hard to relate to you. Um, and, and I'm curious about, uh, you know, shedding one identity and, and, you know, making such a radical identity shift when, especially when it had been part of your life for such a long time, because I, I think that um, one of the things personally that I, I think I, I struggled with, and I think maybe even to, to this day, I, I still do to some extent, is how much sort of bad programming came from the four years of being part of this community and how many unhealthy views um, were the result of it. Like I, I had friends who said, you know, it was about a year or two after I walked away, we were finally able to start feeling fucking normal again and having normal conversations with people, um, you know, friends who went to therapy to fix all this and finally met their, you know, wives and husbands. And they're like, you know, if we had actually behaved that way, we would have blown every opportunity we had. Sure. Um, so uh, let me restate the question is how do, how do you make this transformation? Yeah. Such a, such a large transformation within this. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. I think it's genuinely a combination of things. Um, one, like I said, realizing the bigger picture of, of starting to see, you know, just how much more there is to life and how much more excitement and value you can get. And I think it's hard to experience those things until you experience them or to feel those things until you experience them. So I think trying to hold yourself accountable to balance um, starts to give you a new perspective I think a lot of um, rejection and failure in, in many ways, if you can have a healthier outlook from it, really shapes and, sa- and, and you know, you have two ways to come out from it. One saying this, you know, I need to keep getting better at this and I need to, to keep, you know, getting more attractive to women. Uh, or you can say, hey, this is in one way normal and healthy and it's not a reflection of who I am and then you know, a lot of it comes with a reflection, uh, and, and just really challenging, you know, yourself to get back up and say, great, this happened. This is just one temporary experience, but I don't think it means everything for me. Uh, Uh, and maybe the better answer is, uh, actually starting to give a shit about having more meaningful connections. And, and that's been maybe a hard one 
for me to express. So, so basically you have to get to a point where you're like, you want more than the transaction and not saying like people just only want the transaction of like, great, someone likes me, I'm, I'm getting intimacy and all that. But I mean, people want a little bit more, but you really have to want more mm-hmm. in all regards. And you have to start pushing for more. You have to say, I want people to see me. I want to know who they are. I want them to want to respect who I am and for me to respect them and, and to open up and get to grow to each other. I want to have more meaningful experiences together. I want, even if this connection was casual for both of us to be genuinely happy when it's over, I want more friendships. Um, so it's a little bit of, uh, I think trials and tribulations, getting through that experience, reflecting, and then challenging yourself, you know, being conscious of saying, what's, what's the real connection here and exploring that. And the more that like, basically, let me put it this way. I have an interesting short story. Um, I had a client who, uh, went out and approached something like 800 women in a very few months and thinking that was going to make him happy. And he basically had very little connections, um, left that still feeling like I'm worthless and this is what I need to do to make me happy. We had a conversation and I was like, you know, I want you to stop worrying about what you're going to say next and, and what's the next thing and whatever. And the only time I want you to talk to somebody next is when you see something that actually excites you about them, that you're, you're really curious about or, or something they're doing that you have an opinion on. I only want you to engage somebody right now when it, when it, when there's something that actually connects to you inside. And so coincidentally, uh, he went into a bookstore one day and saw this girl reading some dating pickup book. It might even been Neil Strauss's book, <laughs> right. um, which is really funny yeah. um, that the world works like that. But he said that was the first moment out of like introducing himself to 800 people where he saw that and he's like, wow, a girl's reading that. That's so cool. I want to know why she's reading it. And it came from a place of genuine connection and wanting to just, you know, see who they are. And explore that rather than trying to get something out of it. And so he went in there, super enthusiastic, curious about it. They talked for 20 minutes about interpersonal relationships, whatever. Um, and they ended up dating for a good while. And that was the, you know, the first time out of 800 times where there wasn't an objective outside of to just connect and see if there's something there, a connection both ways. Mm-hmm. And Whenever that happens, he said, basically, you screwed me, man. Uh, you opened Pandora's box, right? Like now that I've felt what it's like to be truly present and truly want to just, you know, explore someone for more than just my gratification or approval, um, I can't stop thinking about that. I can't stop thinking about how that feels. And it's really shifting my belief to, do I just really want to get laid or do I want something more here along with that? And so just giving people a couple experiences where they are only there to connect and explore with somebody and for the first time not to get something for themselves, approval, validation, love, that really switches a lot of people on a deeper level. Wow. Um, 
You know, this raises numerous other questions you might imagine. Um, You know, you talked about rejection and and failure, and I know that you've written about rejection. And, and, you know, um, it's funny because even in our own work together, I've never asked you about, you know, how many countless rejections you've had or or how many situations you've failed (laughs) in. and the question, and I, I'd been thinking about this, knowing that we were going to have this conversation was, you know, how in spite of the rejections, the failures, you know, you know, the, the really dark period in your life, um, did you, you know, I mean, men or women, regardless of whether they're listening, are going to encounter failure or rejection of some sort, right? Whether it's from a job, whether it's from a romantic partner or a potential romantic partner. And I think the the biggest sort of thing that, you know, I know that you've really kind of worked with me on is not seeing this as a reflection of, of my own value in the world. And, and, and I'm curious um, how, you know, having had that many rejections, how did you, how did you not see it? Uh, how did you get to the point where you stopped seeing that as a reflection of your worth, I guess is really the question. Yeah. So like with any emotion or, you know, like we have anxiety or fear, I think if you just try to ignore it and say something, you know, don't feel this or whatever, it's it's super hard to, to change your mind about it. And I think replacing that with a healthier thought process or pattern or action starts to, to change, you know, the default response. And so I think within that, it's, it's going to suck, man. Nobody likes to have an awkward moment and have somebody say, hey, I don't find you interesting in this way or attractive in this way. There's no way to cut it. I think to not let it get over your your worth is to say, first, okay, after I process that, what could I learn from this, if anything? What what could I improve upon? Um, you know, what could I try for next time that might you know uh, be more engaging? And and when you start to think about what you could improve on, if, if anything, then you have something to look forward to and try, and then it starts a pattern where you're like, cool, you know, well, this sucks, but what, what else could I do? Or how else could I take more action? Mm -hmm. You slowly start to do that. And you also realize, great. Like when you have better experiences as well, um, you know, my previous experiences were just, you know, sometimes my behavior is not who I am and I can always change that. Um, they're just temporary new people, you know, not saying you should again, base your worth on it, but you know, I can have experiences that are completely different and with people that will engage me. Um, and then that starts to tell you it's just compatibility, man. Like you're never going to be compatible with everyone. And that's every single person in this world, but you'll be compatible with plenty. You know, if you can't think of the silver lining and think of new ideas to try and to motivate yourself to move forward, and then what tends to happen is you get rejected a couple times. Mm-hmm. You think it's the worst of the world. You only think about the bad. You don't try again for a long time. Nothing changes and you prove yourself. Great. I am rejected because it's me. Nobody will want me. And this is the way it's going to be. But if you can slowly start to say, cool, what can I learn from this? How could I grow? How could I take another shot to try? And then you start shaping your reality with experiences that are completely different. I think it gives you that, that honest perspective. Um, you know, it just, it, it really shows, it's hard to hold on to beliefs when your experiences are saying otherwise. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the same time, it's hard to have those beliefs without experience. Right, right. 
You know, the other thing that um, really struck me is, is, you know, why is it that so many people, particularly men, think that this is going to make them happier? Like, you know, hey, having, you know, the ability to, to sleep with hot women uh, is going to make me a happier person. And why do so many people base their self-worth on it? Like, why do we do that? Because it feels amazing. I'm just yeah. I mean, I'm sure that's a big part of it. Sure. Uh, it's everywhere, dude. I mean, if you really think about it, in almost every facet of life, we're told that's what's going to make us happy. It's in every movie. It's in advertisements. It's in uh, it's in your parents' upbringing saying you need to find somebody, you need to get married. Uh, it is what we look up to and, and people with status. Oh, my God, they got, you know, arm candy and they got this beautiful person. I just think we have a million different stimuli saying this is what matters. Um, and, and then you have your friends. I mean, you grew up with guys that gloat about it when you're young and nobody talks about their failures, or their loneliness. And they talk about, you know, and then you see your friends with, you know, a girl that you might find attractive and they're talking about how great it is. So you just basically have one perspective of the world telling you this is, this is the top, right? This is everything. Uh-huh. Um, and you know, I would hope that's what I'm trying to hope is, is we have a more honest dialogue about everything revolving around this and what matters in life. And, um, I'll just tell you a quick story. You know, I haven't written an article about this, but I went to a funeral of someone that I know very close and, you know, he was super charismatic, super awesome. Um, and all that. But when people got up there and it was like a three hour service and we're crying, like, what people genuinely remembered and what mattered was like who he was as a person, everything he did, the moments that he shared with them, the moments he was there. Um, and, you know, just, you know, sitting in a room and hearing somebody talk about somebody posthumously and when people even reflect on their own lives when they're dying, like you really see what matters, man. And what people think matters, um, as opposed to what the world tells you. Mm. Uh, and so I think the second part of your question was, um, how do we start to shift that narrative? Yeah. And, and why, I guess, you know, you kind of answered why people base their worth on this, you know, but yeah, I mean, yeah. Shifting that narrative is, is probably something really important. Yeah. Um, again, I think it touches a little, or like, I don't know. I don't want to repeat myself, but sure. I, I think it's getting a wide variety, like balancing your life, getting a wide variety of experience, you know, having genuine friendships, having hobbies that make you fulfilled, uh, spending more time with people you care about. Uh, the more that you start to do things outside of that scope and find a way to be held accountable to balance your life, uh-huh. you start to realize that there's so much value within this world. Otherwise, yeah. um, you know, there's one, you know, thing that, that has always been a sort of interesting to me, like that, that I'd been thinking about it and I, I've never asked you this question in our calls, but, um, you know, if you look at a lot of the research done around happiness, right? Like the happiness advantage or stuff that people like Sean Acor have done, they say, you know, our social relationships, um, are one of the greatest predictors of our happiness. Um, and that's such a, a bizarre paradox, right? Is that you, you don't like, I, I've always wondered, it's like, okay, we don't want to be dependent on somebody else for our happiness. And yet, you know, social science shows us that our relationships are one of the greatest predictors. And I'm just curious what you have to say about that. 
Yeah, I don't think they're at as parallel as much as we think. Um, we're all here to connect with people, man. It's at the top of our list. Like, you know, human being human is about connecting and, and you know, what that means. I think the problem is, tying to what you said, is what we place the value on that connection. And so I think for a lot of men that are young that have been fed to the world, the value comes from how attractive the person is that, that you're dating, mm-hmm. right? Um and the problem is, biologically, uh, from from my research, like it seems like that needs to be true, right? For most men, they need to be physically attracted on some level to their partner. I think the problem is it should stop there. That should be your initial switch and say, cool, am I physically attracted to this person enough to want to be intimate with them, to be close, all that? Great. Then start looking as well at the bigger picture besides just, you know, what's on the outside, right? Like how, how you have your time together. Do you get along? Do you share values? And so I'm not against people wanting healthier connection, like more connections for happiness, because I think that is a huge piece. Mm -hmm. It's just about what constitutes a healthy, happy connection. And for a lot of young men and even men into their thirties, it's like, great. Most importantly, is it a hot person? (laughs) Um, uh, And then they don't often challenge themselves much further than that. Yeah, And then for women, it's the same way. It's often, how does this person make me feel? And a lot of times they choose partners who, you know, they feel great around, they feel excited, aroused, um, you know, adventurous, they laugh, they have a great sense of humor. And then that stops there. And again, it's not, it doesn't progress towards always like, well, am I getting the respect that I deserve? Um, are they communicative? Are they fair to me? Do they encourage my independence? So, yeah, I don't think there's a problem in wanting connections for your happiness because it is an essential part. It's just about what realizing what will bring you long-term happiness on there. And then the second part of that is realizing that connections to humans also means a connection to yourself. So if you only have one or the other, if like you just are, you know, want to be with yourself and are happy all the time, but you don't interact with the world you often tend to feel pretty isolated. If all you're doing is chasing tail and they're hot people, but then you also don't feel well connected to yourself, you don't love yourself, then inherently I think you're going to place your worth on those. So yeah, it's about connecting for the right reasons with others, but then also making sure that you have a strong connection to yourself. Uh, so one thing that I know that I've, I've never asked you about is you're married, right? Yep. Um, how did you meet your wife? And one, what does she think about the work that you do? And two, what do you want women to know about the work that you do, given that a lot of the people listening are women? Yeah, so I actually met my woman, how I preach. Um, We were out (laughs) out with a friend in Boston on a night. Uh, I was at a bar. She was out with her two friends celebrating. And yeah, I just saw her and I thought she looked absolutely beautiful. And she had a really cool kind of, you know, creative artistic style. She had like a leather jacket and a couple studs in her ears and um, just, you know, had the courage to go up, say hello, introduce myself. Um, And so, yeah, pretty organically in person. I I mean, I got to be honest, looking back on it, if you had told me where would I meet my long-term partner, I would have (laughs) not pegged that as number one by any means, but I'm not complaining, right? Um, And so, yeah, I think, you know, what, what a lot of women have to understand is that I think the majority of men trying to learn about improving themselves and especially in a dating aspect 
deep down are doing it for healthy reasons, even if all the time they can't see it on the surface. Like, I think there's a misconception that men want to learn this to deceive people all the time, to somehow manipulate people, to convince somebody who doesn't want to be interested to be interested in them, um, to be disingenuous. And there's definitely a subset of people like that. And there's definitely a subset of teachings about that. Um, I'm skewed because, you know, I cater towards people who, who have similar values, like you said yourself. And so most of the guys are coming in saying, you know, I've, I've got a lot of, you know, most of the guys have the rest of their life handled. You know, I've got a great career. I've got sometimes good friends. Uh, my health is pretty intact. But for some reason, I just can't figure this side of my life out. And, and I really want to be able to present my best self. They're often, I think another thing a lot of women don't realize is like, they're a lot more concerned about women's boundaries than they believe. You know, I think when I tell women, you know, I'm a dating coach, sometimes it's like, oh, so you're teaching guys to pick up girls. And it's like the opposite. I'm, I'm mostly convincing guys that it's okay to show your interest in women in, in a healthy way, uh-huh. right? They're not coming in like, hey, Nick, how do I, you know, really want, you know, say something super sexy to just get this girl to throw herself at me. Most of them have struggled with this because they're worried about being too forward. They're worried about showing the wrong kinds of interest. They don't want to upset anyone. Um, they want to introduce themselves in a way that isn't, that doesn't feel predatory or quote unquote creepy. Yeah. So the big idea is like, I think a lot of women think that there's malicious intent behind a lot of this. And really it's a lot of fear and inexperience and anxiety and worry about the other person which is preventing them from this and needing it in the first place. And I'll say one other thing. There's a, there's a big misconception that the people who are doing this, even other men uh-huh. are somehow like, you know, broken or weird, right? Like yeah. it's like, Oh, who needs to come to this? But it's like, nobody teaches you this stuff in school, right? Like nobody's teaching you how to, you know, communicate in a way that's engaging all the time or, or to show off yourself in a more attractive way or to, the understanding, the, the ideas behind courtship. And so most of the people that do come to me, I've taken are just are awesome, man. Like they're super successful in their life and they've got, you know, a steady income. They've got great friends. Like I said, it's just really, this is, you know, everything else in life has a logical pattern. Uh-huh. It's easy to think through it and humans are emotional creatures. And so when you're adding emotional intelligence into the equation, that's really the struggle, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you kind of answered what my next question would be is, is, you know, what misperceptions do you think that people have about the types of, of, of people that, that come to your work? But, you know, um, it, it, yeah, you kind of more or less answered that. Um, I'm curious, uh, one, you know, it's funny, like nobody would, nobody would feel weird about saying, Hey, I hired a coach to help me, you know, improve my jump shot or, Hey, I hired a coach to help increase the revenue of my business. Yet when it comes to something like this, um, one, people are reluctant to admit that they need help. I think in a lot of cases, I, I think, you know, it, uh, you know, for me to like, I, I had avoided it at all costs because I didn't want to have to go through what I had, you know, several years ago when I was younger, I was like, do I really want to go through that whole experience again of just spending my life absorbed in this and nothing else? Um, sure. But, but I'm curious, you know, why is it that, you know, we can, we're okay. You know, why do you think it is that we have this narrative that, Hey, you know, it's okay for us to hire coaches to, you know, help with our sports or our business. But when it comes to the idea that, Hey, I need a coach for improving my social skills, 
themselves. Um, we have such a, a sort of weird feeling about it, like a stigma associated with it. Because I remember even, you know, when I wrote that, that piece uh, on Medium, you said, wow, I didn't know that you were going to publicly admit that, you know, you had hired me. Yeah, I mean, I was I was shocked, man. Um, just because, like you said, I you know, I've worked with people for years and they, they believe in my work and they love it and they've grown from it and they have healthy connections. And they're still terrified of telling anybody that they've ever done anything um, to improve themselves in this regard. And really, I think it comes back to you know, we're as men told that like your value is like, can you attract women and, and specifically attractive women, um, throughout time, throughout thousands of years, that's been like a huge indicator of status and power. Um, your friends, you know, people judge you for it, uh, all these things. And so to admit that you need help in this regard is to admit you failed as a man for a lot of people in their head. Right. It's, you know, I am somehow failed as my responsibility as a man. I'm inferior. I am unattractive because of it. Uh, and this is something I should be ashamed of because supposedly I should be able to do this. And so I think really it comes from the stigma of like, again, I, I must be worthless or I must be some kind of loser to have to do this. And nothing could be farther from the truth. I mean, and, and worried that you know, if that ties to this is unnatural and I need this, then when other people find out, and especially women, they're going to think that, you know, I am strange and I am different and I am, you know, not, you know, regular guy in that sense. Mm -hmm. And so it's, yeah, I think it's a lot of shame and insecurity around it. Um, I don't know of any, almost any other field that you could say, Hey, I, I get coaching for this. And then people have, you know, any hesitation about expressing. And it's actually been a huge part of my business. You know, most of my business is, is super organic. People find out about me, they read my stuff, but even getting personal referrals and, and people to share out is extremely difficult because that requires you to tell somebody who knows you, Hey, I, I needed this help. Yeah. Um, well, now about so, yeah. 10,000 people are about to find out, find out. <laughs> um, interesting. So um, I want to get to another part of our conversation, which I know you and I had, had sort of alluded to via email. And this is something that's interesting to me uh, in particular, because, you know, you know, we have what you said, you know, men are, are concerned with expressing interest. And now to add to all of this, we have this cultural epidemic of sexual assault that is happening left and right. Um and one, you know, I'm curious what your perspective is on all of it. Um, I, I'm guessing you probably saw the, the latest thing of, about Aziz Ansari's bad date. Oh, yeah. Because I, I think that now, you know, suddenly the very issues that you're, you know, trying to help men deal with are becoming, you know, more and more prevalent. Like suddenly you're kind of like, wow, okay, where's the line? And holy shit, like the last thing I want is to be accused of sexual assault. Yeah, man, it's getting, it's, it's getting real tense. I mean, I tell you at least half the people that are coming to me, that's like the, one of the first things they're talking about when I'm, when I'm getting to know them. Hey, listen, you know, I'm really scared of, 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 you know, pushing too far, being labeled a, a predator or a creep. Um, and just year after year, I've seen it to grow to be a concern. So, okay. I've got a lot of thoughts on this. Um, to start, I am super happy that this movement has even started. I think it was much needed, way overdue, um, because whether people believe it or not, you know, there's, there's so many people saying, well, 
you know, why didn't they go through the proper channels and why is everybody making a big stink of it out loud? And it's like, well, a lot of people did go through the, the right channels. A lot of people went to police. A lot of people reported these things and just they were ignored for a long time. So in terms of the overall idea behind the movement of getting awareness and, and helping people see how real this is as a problem, super awesome. I just think at times we're going about it in the wrong ways. We're, we're coming from a lot of misunderstanding um, and, and the lines are being pushed so far because people are so worried about it not happening. You know, sometimes we go to other extremes, right? There's a movement and we want to fix a problem and we go to a complete opposite end for a solution. And sometimes we need to scale back and say, okay, there's, there's a nice meeting place in the middle. Um, so, you know, in terms of, I, I think what's wrong to start what what's hard is, the misunderstandings. Um, I think if you're trying to make policy when you don't understand both sides of the equation, then the po- the answer comes out, you know, muddled. And so, like I said, I think a lot of men misunderstand how prevalent it is, mm-hmm. um, how how impactful it is when something like sexual assault happens or rape happens, um, or or just sexual harassment. Um, I think there's a lot of also misunderstanding from the men's side that if they show any sort of interest, they're automatically in that camp and that, you know, you know, if they push, put themselves out there or take initiative, then they're going to be labeled as one of those people. And then from the other side of things, and, and, and they also don't realize why women choose the partners they do. You know, a lot of men are resentful and say, you know, I'm really polite and, and all these things, but I don't seem to have women attracted to me. And you have to realize there's a level of intimacy and attraction um, that that is an emotional response that, you know, women aren't saying, you know, oh, I don't want to like this person because of X reason. It's just you don't feel it at times. And so it's not like there's malicious intent from a a woman's side when she's not interested in you. Um, Sometimes it's incompatibility. Sometimes you could be presenting yourself or doing the things that would help facilitate that kind of connection. And then I think from the women's side, um, a lot of it is, is, is again, thinking because when, when you're thinking about a person approaching you or showing you interest, we often go to our worst case scenarios, stories we've heard, stories we felt, things we've experienced. And then it's easy to say like, well, that's how it's going to be, or that's how a lot of men think. And they think, you know, a lot of guys are just when they're, when they're showing interest or, or being forward it's with the wrong intent. It's with only to get into their pants. Um, and so there's a defensiveness and worst case scenario situation in a lot of women's heads that I don't think is the norm. And so you have two sides of the equation, both misunderstanding each other's intentions misunderstanding the problems we face, misunderstanding is the reason why we do the things we do. And I think in a lot of ways, the extreme sides of both, um, I'll say the, uh, what is it? The red pill male movement, Mm -hmm. um, and and the extreme sides of feminism are really hurting the conversation that needs to be had and creating a lot of resent, a lot of animosity and a lot of fear. Like for me, what, what's really scary right now is, um, I think there's a lot of young boys and girls who are learning like, well, you can't talk to a girl or show her interest because that's wrong and you're going to get in a lot of trouble. And I think there's a lot of women that are saying, you know, be 
cautious of all these guys because they only have one thing on their mind or, or there's a good chance that something bad is going to happen. And that's like the biggest fear for me is like, great, we're having a conversation about shit that needs to happen. But we're sometimes having a lot of misunderstanding. We're, we're speaking in emotions all the time instead of logic and trying to rationalize things and look at data. Um, and then we're not trying to come to a mutual understanding. A lot of times it's like, well, the solution is like, you know, I need to do whatever I can to like, you know, protect myself. Um, so yeah, there's, you know, and I think where that leads to, um, just wrapping this idea up is, is we need to understand, we need what I call a new protocol. Um, the answer to say like, nobody can ever go talk to somebody or show interest in somebody, um, without ever realizing that the other person's interested back. I'm not saying anything that would constitute as legal sexual assault or, or anything, but just like going up to someone and introducing yourself to a stranger or telling them that you like them and want to grab a drink. Um, that has to find, we have to find a way to be able to have people to initiate, whether it's male to women, you know, male to female or vice versa. Because if you take that away, um, a lot of courtship and romance doesn't work. Like we know what tends to attract people and what turns people on and what gets people together. And if you take away initiative, leadership, showing interest that at any regard, and, and then you're always waiting passively, then a lot of interest is never built. I mean, there's been guys for 10, 20 years that I've talked that I know, like, you know, I've talked to them for 10 years, but they've been doing it 20 years where they're super nice, super polite, don't ever show interest, always are waiting, always a friend. And they've struggled for 10 years. And that's what a lot of the extreme sides of the movement say, this is the solution. You know, don't ever show interest in anybody. Well, then nobody's going to get together, (laughs) (laughs) you know? Um, And so what we need to do is say, we need to draw a line and understand, um, you know, a lot of things. One, men need to be really understanding of how touchy it can be. So when they do show some, you know, they have to learn how to show interest in a polite way. Um, respectful way, obviously not doing anything overboard. And then they have to be conscious of actual verbal signals. And, and even sometimes when it's unclear, nonverbal to be cautious and speak up and say, Hey, listen, you know, no problem. Understand boundaries. Hey, is everything okay? And be more mindful of them. Um, I think we need to empower the young women to have a voice um, to be really conscious of setting their boundaries more communicative. And I know the argument on one side is, well, when you do that, you put yourself in harm's way. But the problem is when you don't do that, you still put yourself in harm's way. And in my experience more often, so it's the lesser of two evils is I think, you know, we can't go around and saying, well, everyone should guess everyone's mind and nobody should be able to communicate because it's dangerous. No, we need to find a way to communicate. That's how we work as people. And so the answer, I think, is, is understanding there's a right way to, you know, initiate conversation with somebody, not catcall them, not aggressively attack them, um, to show interest in a way that's not bordering on harassment, then to be mindful of when somebody's setting their boundaries and not ready and be really respectful of that. And then the other side, to empower women to have a voice, to feel like they're, they're protected by um, same, you know, the same ideas that everyone else is, um, and that they can reject somebody or not feel wrong for it. Um, because I think if we don't find a new communication protocol for courtship and romance, like I said, I think there's going to be a lot less relationships, a lot less healthy relationships. And I think we're breeding 
a young society to fear each other. And that's really scary. Wow. So I want to finish with um, two questions. One, you know, I, I don't know why I didn't ask this earlier in our conversation. What is it that you find, I mean, <clears throat> across working with thousands of people, <clears throat> having met your wife, um, what is it that ultimately leads to a meaningful and intimate connection between two people of the opposite sex? Yeah, I think especially if in terms of meaningful, if it if it stays right, if we're not talking about just a quick casual connection. Sure. Um, I use this word a lot, but I think a deep level of respect for each other. Um, people don't understand how deep that goes. Right. Like this idea that at the end of the day, you have to say, I, I care about this person. I care about their independence, them finding value in their own life, them being happy. And I want to do my best to meet them there. Um but then also do that for myself, like to, to both encourage the other person to make sure that I'm feeling respected. And then the other side of the, the coin of the relationship to say the same. And so when, when you say at the end of the day, no matter how we're, we're fighting, no matter what kind of differences we have, no matter what kind of other interests, if at the end of the day, we know that we both have each other's best interests at heart, that we care about each other, that we're willing to compromise. And that's the deeper core value then you can get through almost anything. Um, you know, my wife is very different from me in a lot of ways. Um, we don't like the same things. I'm, I'm in the tech and, and, you know, VR and cryptocurrency and all these other things that she really couldn't care um, less about. Uh, and, but at the end of the day, she respects me and she loves my happiness and she loves um, me knowing about that. And she'll even spend some time to invest in it, to learn about it. And she knows at the end of the day, I'm going to be the same way for her. And so same thing as if, if we had a disagreement, you know, you're going to have emotions and heated and whatever. But when you get through that and realizing, okay, I still want the best for the other person uh, and, and for myself, I want a solution here rather than to feel like we need to slight each other. Um, if you maintain that deeper level of respect, then almost everything can be handled. Mm, wow. So um, I didn't want to get out of this conversation without you uh, letting you tell people about the retreat that you have coming up in Barcelona. So let's touch on that for a bit, and then I'll wrap things up with our final question. Sure. Yeah. So I'm hosting another four-day retreat in Barcelona, Spain, uh, in April 12th through 15th. And the idea is um, it's a confidence retreat, okay? And it's it's about you know, on one end, it's the confidence to meet people and express yourself and communicate and create those healthy connections. And specifically, if you're, it's a it's a men's retreat, so with a lot of women. Um, but on a deeper level, it's starting to again love yourself, understand who you are, understand your values, your boundaries, all these things. Um, what's going to make you more fulfilled in life, so that it ties into that. Because if generally you're happier and fulfilled and and all the things I just said, it's a lot easier to, to talk to people, to engage them and actually be present and to create a meaningful connection. So it's funny because a lot of people come in saying, you know, I really need to improve my romantic skills. Um, but at the end of the day, almost every single time after at the end of the retreat, nobody says that was like the core value they got away. It's like, oh, I'm self-actualized. I, I want to do more in life. I, I want to, you know, I, I didn't mean for this to happen, but every retreat, one or two people realize that they do want to quit their job and end up opening their own business or, or moving to a new career. Um, so yeah, it's basically, you know, uh, 
a lot of ideas on communication skills and romance, but really about starting to love yourself and be able to express that to the world. Uh, and you do it with, you know, generally eight to 10 other guys. We have another coach with me. Her name's Christina. She's amazing. Um, she gives a lot of feedback and then, you know, actually a perspective that's much needed. And then, so you're doing this with other guys that are being vulnerable, going through the same things. And then we're, we're learning within our apartment. Uh, but then we're also going out daily to actually interact in the world and meet people consistently and get our support doing so. Mm. And so, yeah, I'm super pumped about it. Very cool. All right. So one last question, which is how we finish all of our interviews at the unmistakable creative. What do you think it is that makes somebody or something unmistakable? Huh? Integrity. Um, if I'm learning the word, if I'm hearing you right on unmistakable, um, I think I hold integrity at the top of my list for, for qualities of people. I think at the end of the day, if I can trust somebody who is who they are and, and they're secure in that in a lot of ways, or at least secure in allowing other people to be that way. Um, that's what really matters, you know, is if somebody has, is, is good heart and, and eventually is willing to hold to good values and, and, you know, not hate on other people. Everything else is doesn't matter, right? You could be different views. You could have different hobbies, opinions, whatever, but we could still find a way to, to at least come to an understanding. Awesome. Um, where can people learn more about you and your work? Yeah, so you can learn more about me at my site, nicknotice.com. That's N-I-C-K-N-O-T-A-S.com. And the retreat there is there on my menu. Just click the retreat button and you'll see the Conquer Confidence page. Awesome. And for everybody listening, we will wrap the show with that. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Unmistakable Creative Podcast. While you were listening, were there any moments you found fascinating, inspiring, instructive, maybe even heartwarming? Can you think of anyone, a friend or a family member who would appreciate this moment? If so, take a second and share today's episode with that one person because good ideas and messages are meant to be shared. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hold up. 
What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowl and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowl and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Have you ever felt a twinge of worry about AI taking over your job or diluting your creativity? Well, what if you could turn that fear into creative fuel? We've just published an amazing new ebook called The Four Keys to Success in an AI World. And this is more than just a guide. It's a deep exploration into the human skills that AI can't touch. The skills that are essential for standing out and thriving, no matter how much technology evolved. We're talking about real differentiators here like creativity, emotional intelligence, critical thinking, and much more. Inside, you'll find actionable insights and strategies to develop these skills, whether you're a creative person, a business person, or just simply someone who loves personal development. This isn't a story about tech taking over. It's a story of human creativity thriving alongside AI. Picture this, AI as your creative co-pilot, not just as a tool, but a collaborator that enhances your unique human skills. The Four Keys ebook will show you exactly how to do that and view AI in a new way that empowers you instead of overshadows you. Transform your creative potential today. Head over to unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys. Use the number four, K-E-Y-S. That's unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys and download your free copy.